Good morning, everyone. It's my joy to worship with you this morning. Next Sunday is a massive Sunday for our church. Um, I trust many of you remember, but please all be reminded now that next Sunday, Lord willing, will be uh, appointing a couple men to serve alongside me as elders or pastors here in this church. And uh, those two men are Dumi and Lovu and Nshlanshla and Korsi. And uh, we are just so thankful to the Lord for these men. We've known them for years. We've observed their lives for years. We've benefited so much from their ministry. That's preaching or their service on the worship team, leading gospel community groups, uh, just a variety of different areas where they've been serving. Um, Just the individual counsel and discipleship they've been giving uh, and so on and so forth. And just just service, service, faithfulness. And so we're confident that these are men that meet the biblical qualifications for eldership, meet the biblical, biblical qualifications to be pastors. As we've explained, we believe that the Bible teaches very clearly that pastors are elders. Okay? Elders are pastors. And the Bible also teaches that there should be a plurality of pastors or elders in a church. There shouldn't just be one man leading the show. And uh, so it's such a good thing that God is enabling us to move to the point where we have a team of pastors here, a team of elders here at this church. And the plan for next week's Sunday is for Pastor Andre DeVitt from Living Hope Church. Uh, most of you know Living Hope Church is our sending church, uh, the church that uh, at the end of February last year, uh, 2022, sent out 15 of their members, officially at a special commissioning service, sent out 15 of their members to, to come and start this church. Um, so Andre will be here, he'll preach for us next week Sunday, and then he'll join us uh, in affirming these two men as, as pastors and elders of the church. And part of why that's a big deal is because uh, since Living Hope has planted us, since we have started this church under the authority of their elders, um, this is, it's important that, that, that they affirm this next step for us. So they, they sent out 15 of their members at the beginning, and they've been walking alongside us all the way along. I, I meet with the elders of Living Hope regularly, and uh, they've been uh, help praying for us regularly. They've been helping me uh, think through decisions here as a church, giving me counsel, giving me encouragement. Um, and obviously, as you know as well, they've also uh, filled our pulpit very often. Uh, a number of the, in fact, I think something like four or five of the elders have, have all preached for us here um, on, and on a number of times, uh, on a number of occasions. So part of uh, what will be really special next week is, is in Andre being here, uh, in him uh, helping us appoint these men, recognize these men as pastors and elders. Uh, that's also living hope, basically acknowledging, all right, you are an adult now. You stand on your own two feet. 
And obviously, we're, we're a young adult, right? We're a young adult, but uh, we are an adult church uh, now, uh, ready to stand on our own two feet before the Lord, of course. Before the Lord. This is His church, and, uh, and what He says goes, and we want to do everything according to His word and for His glory. But uh, now, with, with, with a team of elders and pastors here, uh, we, we are independent from Living Hope, uh, and we'll be standing on our own two feet. Um, of course, continuing to, to be supported by them and encouraged by them as sister churches, uh, not just by them, but, but other churches. That's an important uh, aspect of a biblical understanding of the church as well, is that we're not... Even as we're independent, we are, or we're not alone. We're not alone. Um, but very exciting to be entering into this, this next stage in the life of our church. The Lord has been very kind to us. Amen? Oh, more, more enthusiastic than that, please. Hey, the Lord has been very kind to us. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Okay. Oh, and then the other piece. Um... So then we're going to do a meal together, okay? So that's why we're not doing our all church meal today. That's why we're doing it next week, Sunday. And uh, uh, obviously that's always a special time for us in our life of a church, our monthly all church meal. But please, 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 if you can, be here next Sunday. Stay afterwards for the meal. Let's, uh, let's celebrate together and enjoy one another and enjoy this special occasion. Okay. All right. Now, let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We were in verses 1 through 20 of Mark 4 last week, and we'll be in verses 21 through 25 this week. And this whole section, Mark 4, verse 1 through 34, is a very interconnected section with three main themes running through. Uh, this whole section. And those themes are the themes, uh, is the, well, one of those themes is the theme of parables. Another one of the, the themes is this theme of hearing, of listening well, what it looks like to listen well, to be a good hearer of God's word. And then a third theme is the theme of the kingdom of God. And we're going to be looking at two of those themes today. And there'll be a lot of connection between this week's sermon and last week's sermon because of how interconnected this whole section of the book of Mark is. Now, I mentioned one of the themes being parables. In this section of his gospel, Mark is introducing parables to us. And we said last week that parables are simple, everyday stories that contain spiritual truths. Okay? We saw last week that Jesus began to teach in parables at this stage of his ministry for a number of reasons. And part of, the, part of the reasons for him doing that was actually to somewhat veil the truth, to somewhat conceal, to somewhat hide the truth, um, but to hide it in plain sight. Right? He's not holding back from teaching the truth. He's just teaching it in a way that only those who are truly attentive, only those who are coming in humility and faith will see it and understand it. 
In one of our, a couple of the verses we looked at last week, Mark 4, verse 10, says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, for those outside, for those who are not coming to me in faith, for those who are just coming to me for miracles, for those who are just coming to me for the spectacle, for those who are coming trying to uh, actually uh, oppose me and get me into trouble, for those that are outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And we talked last week uh, about this, this passage, it's a difficult passage to understand, and we identified at least a couple reasons why Jesus has taken this approach uh, that we see here where at least for some he's intentionally partially veiling, partially concealing the truth in the parables. And very briefly, here's a couple of those reasons. Number one, it's a judgment against those who've been taking his plain teaching and refusing to accept it and believe it. So Jesus is continuing to present the truth in the parables he's teaching, but now there's that much more of a need for those listening to approach him in faith and to humbly, diligently engage uh, his teaching if they really want to understand it. Okay. The, the meaning's there, the truth's there, but it's not on, surf, on the surface level anymore. You have to really engage, and dig, dig a little deeper, and wrestle with what Jesus is saying. And secondly, this was a way for Jesus to still boldly make messianic claims about being king and bringing his kingdom reign, but to do so in a way that was harder for his opposition to be able to catch him in his words and cause trouble for him. Now that Jesus was talking in parables, it would be harder for them to paint a picture of him as an insurrectionist, here to overthrow the Romans. Since now, if they wanted to quote him, they would be quoting stories about agriculture and fishing and everyday life, right? Okay. But, okay, so one of the purposes of parables, to partially conceal, partially veil the truth, even as it's, it's in plain sight. But is that all? Is that all? Does the fact that Jesus used parables to somewhat hide what he was teaching mean that he actually did not want to be understood at all? Was his goal to completely hide his identity, to completely keep the news about himself from spreading? Mark 4 verse 21 speaks to that question. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Or under a bed and not on a stand for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest 
nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. But Jesus appeals here to common sense. Why does anyone light a lamp? Right? And of course, we're not just talking about flicking a switch. Right? These would have been oil lamps. And you've got to you've got to trim the wick and you've got to fill in the oil and you've got to light it. And there's there's a, b- a bit of work and, and 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 effort involved. This isn't just something you do without thinking. Why does anyone light a lamp? In order to give light. So why then would anyone light a lamp only to put the lamp somewhere where it's covered up so that the light can't even be seen? It doesn't make sense. Nobody does that with a lamp. Now, an interesting thing in verse 21 is that a very strictly woodenly literal translation of this verse would read like this. Does the lamp come to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? In other words, the lamp itself is being personified. The lamp is not brought in by someone else. The lamp comes by itself. So it's as if Jesus here is depicting himself as the lamp, as the light come into the world. And as we've been saying, lamps are lit or lamps are brought into a room for a purpose. To be seen and to shine their lights. And to reveal things. And so it would not then be a correct understanding to think that Jesus' motive for teaching in parables is that no one would understand and believe. Definitely not. The very reason the light came into the darkness was to bring light, to reveal. Jesus is called the light in a number of passages in the Gospels. For example, John 1 says this, John 1 verse 9, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus, the true light, came into the world to shine in the darkness so that people could believe in him and be saved. And as Mark 4.22 says, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. In other words, we could say the parables concealed truth so that they could reveal truth. The parables concealed truth so that they could reveal truth. And I'll explain what that means. I think there's at least two ways in which this is true. At least two ways that the actual veiling of the truth, the actual partial hiding of the truth in parables um, served the longer term goal of making the truth known. Firstly, we've been talking about the growing opposition against Jesus. 
and all those who desire to catch him in his words and cause trouble for him. Now, picture those in opposition to Jesus. This is just an analogy I've made up, but uh, I, I do believe it's fitting. Picture those in opposition to Jesus as standing guard at a gateway. And the job that they've been given is to stop anybody getting through that gateway with light of any sort. Right? Jesus, in order to get the light past them, in order to get through the gate to deliver the light to the people in darkness on the other side, he has to conceal it. He has to cover it up. Okay? But the whole reason he's covering it up is just so that he can get past the guards, so that once he's on the other side, he can uncover it and show everyone the light. He can deliver the light to them. He is only covering up the light in order to succeed in his goal of having it shine brilliantly for all those who will be receptive to it. A second way, it's tr- it could be true, or is true rather, that Jesus is concealing the truth in order to reveal it, is along these lines. I had a theology professor when I was studying the Bible in university who was loved by students who were eager to learn, but who drove half-hearted, distracted, and uninterested students crazy. He wouldn't tell us what he believed about things, at least not for a long, long time. He would just ask questions and ask more questions. And when we answered him, then he would ask us questions about our answers. And he'd push back and say, oh, but what about this? What about that? And for those who enjoyed those discussions, we loved it. And we engaged. And we had to be on our toes. We had to be thinking, thinking, thinking. We thought we, we had good reasons for something. And he would push back and we'd have to rethink. Okay? But by the end of it all, we were much, much clearer on what we believed and why we believed it, what the other options were, why we didn't accept those other options, but why we stood where we stood. Okay? You could argue that this professor is concealing the truth in order to reveal the truth. Okay? He's using a teaching method that doesn't reveal the truth right away, so that at the end, when we've come to understand the truth, we've actually come to understand it more profoundly, more deeply, with more conviction. The parables function in a very similar way. And also, like I said, with the students who aren't actually interested in putting in the work, who aren't that motivated to learn, right? just as they would give up in this, in this theology class, and disengage and not really learn anything, the same would be true for those who were coming to Jesus but weren't coming to him in sincere faith, eager to learn from him. He was concealing the truth from them, but it's their fault, isn't it? It's their fault because they're not engaging. If they were coming with sincere humility and faith, truly eager to learn, The truth is there. The opportunity to learn is there. 
This is how the parables works. They concealed and they revealed. So verse 23 says then, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. The opportunity to learn is still here. Are you going to be the students that engage? Or are you going to be the students who just get frustrated? Why won't this, why won't this professor just, just say it plainly? Come on. Just tell us what you believe. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus here issues a clear invitation and a command shows us that it's our responsibility to properly hear his teaching, to see him for who he is and to embrace him as Savior and Lord. It matters how we listen. We saw last week in Mark 4, 14 to 20, how we're supposed to approach listening to the parables. And indeed, how we're supposed to approach listening to, to all of Jesus' teaching. In summary, we said that we need to value Jesus supremely. Recognizing that He is worthy of any hardship, any persecution that we may face because of Him. And we need to recognize that He's better than any other pleasure or pursuit in this world. And He's worthy of us turning from all other things to prioritize Him and pursue Him. We need to value Jesus above anything and everything else. We also said based on Mark 4.20, on that verse in particular, that, that describes the, the, the good soil where the seed grows and is, is fruitful. The right way to listen to Jesus' teaching involves, number one, engaging our minds to really pay attention and learn and understand. We can't just, just being present here right now while I'm teaching is not the same as being really engaged. Okay? Hanging on every word. Wanting to understand. Wanting to remember. Secondly, believing that Jesus is who He says He is. And if He is who He says He is, then His words are valuable, right? If He is the Messiah, if He is the Son of God, then we need to accept His teaching as the words of God, very God. Not just some good teaching of some very wise, very philosophical person. The words of God, very God. And then thirdly, we need to listen with the intention to obey. With the intention to bear fruits, to be a doer of the word. Because again, right? As I've heard it said, you can't say no, Lord, right? If you really view someone as your Lord, your master, your king, and he tells you something to do, Either you don't mean Lord when you say no Lord, right? 
the only appropriate answer is yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. If, if that's what you command me to do, that's what I will do. And we need to recognize that Jesus' words carry that authority. And therefore, we pay careful attention with every intent to obey. Mark continues with this theme of good listening here in our passage today. Mark 4.24 says, And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In Jesus' day, when you're at the market looking to buy something, you wouldn't buy it prepackaged. What would happen is what you're buying then gets measured out using standard-sized cups or bowls. Okay? But now this very practice, even though it's supposed to standardize things, there's a lot of potential flex, right? Depending on who the person is measuring the things out and how they measure them out. So think, for example, of how many spoons of sugar you put uh, in your tea or coffee, right? As a kid, I used to love the way my grandmother would almost give me twice as much sugar because she would heap the teaspoons up high, right? So technically, I'm getting two spoons of sugar, but I'm really getting like three, you know? Because that's how she measured it out. That's what we're talking about here. How do you measure things out? Generously? Just barely enough, just so you're able to say, I, I gave you a spoon. I gave it to you. You asked for two spoons, there you go. Level, level, level. Jesus takes the saying of the day here and he uses it to make a spiritual point. The idea is is kind of wishing people uh, that they would receive what they give. If you're generous in how you measure things out, then the wish is that others would be generous back to you. Or we could say, may you reap what you sow. May you receive back according to what you invested or to the work you put into something. Right? If you give a lot, may you receive a lot. And so the idea here is that if you apply yourself generously, right, wholeheartedly to learning from Jesus, if you put in the effort and go over and beyond the bare minimum, then you can expect greater results, more growth, more fruitful living as a result of that growth, more fruitfulness in your ministry to others. And this, this just makes sense. It makes sense. It's a result of a few things, right? We've already mentioned the truism, you reap what you sow. The more you listen to preaching, The more you read God's Word, the more time you spend learning His Word, obviously the more you're going to learn. The more you engage your mind in asking questions and making connections and seeking to understand, the more you will find answers. 
If every time you're stumped, you just give up, well, then that's as far as you're going to go. Or are you going to dig? Are you going to perhaps pick up some, some books that help you understand the Bible, a study Bible or something like that? Are you going to talk to a friend who's more knowledgeable than you? Are you going to actually wrestle with this passage until you come to an understanding of it? And of course, this also has an accumulative effect. Nobody's going to learn the Bible inside and out in one jam-packed day. But diligence to come to church regularly and sit under preaching, to read your Bible regularly, to engage in discussions about the Bible and questions you have with friends, all of that adds up and adds up and adds up and adds up and adds up. Secondly, a lot of growth, a lot of our growth in understanding God's Word and living the Christian life is exponential. And what I mean by that is the more you learn and grow, the faster you begin to learn and grow. It begins to build momentum. As one simple example, you can't make connections between various passages in the Bible if you've never read or heard those passages. Okay? You might be reading through the book of Romans, and, and it's great. There's a lot there to learn and, 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 and to pick up on, right? But then a few months later, you're reading through the book of Romans, having also spent some time reading the Old Testament, having understood a little bit more about the Old Testament sacrificial system. And suddenly you're like, whoa! Like, this book just became 3D. The connections you're making, very, very different. It's a whole new level. Once you have, 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 have more knowledge of this book, it becomes so much richer and deeper. You see connections everywhere. You see bigger themes woven throughout the whole Bible. You see God's faithfulness at a new level because you're not just being told God is faithful. You've seen it to Abraham. You've seen it to Jacob. You've seen it to Joseph. You've seen it to David. You've seen it again and again and again. You see God's faithfulness to His people. You realize that Jesus' coming is that much bigger a deal because He was promised. And the promise is here. It's been fulfilled. The Messiah has come. The Bible is suddenly much more multifaceted and rich. And the same is true in many ways with our Christian walk. Okay, now I'm not saying, I just I said in some ways you, you build momentum. In some ways the, the growth uh, gets much quicker with time. And, and so I don't mean by that 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 you know somebody who's been a Christian for many years doesn't still have to battle sin. You do. You do. There's, there's aspects of the Christian life that will always be hard. But what a world of difference it is to fight that fight and actually have the weapon of God's Word, right? Instead of just knowing I need to defeat this sin, now I've got all the truths of God's Word to actually help me fight that sin. 
I've got the assurance that nothing's going to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I've got the promises that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glories that will be revealed. I've got all these wonderful truths about how I can approach God in my time of need and know that He will give me the help that I need. I've got the encouragement knowing that if I fight my sin, if I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, I can be confident I'm going to make progress. Why? Because God is at work within me, both to will and to work for His good purpose. I'm not fighting this fight alone. I've got the God of the universe at work within me. And how much, completely different, right? Completely different to thinking like, oh, somehow, some way, I've just, I've got to beat this sin. I just have to. Okay? So, exponential growth with time. But my friends, you can be a believer for years. And if your knowledge of God's Word is no better than it was when you first became a Christian, then what I'm talking about here still isn't true for you, right? You still might be aware of sin in your life that you need to overcome, but you're no better equipped to fight it. It's well worth it, right? Well worth it for us to be people who diligently hear, diligently listen, diligently learn. And the third aspect of all of this is the undeniable fact that God helps us understand His Word and blesses us as we ask Him for help and as we engage His Word with a sincere desire to learn and obey. Okay? A sincere desire both to learn and to obey. Psalm 119.8 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. God, it's your word. You know, you know what it means. You wrote it. Help me to see. And to see more and more clearly, more and more fully. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without a reproach, and it will be given him. So God gives wisdom, and he gives understanding and insight into his word to those who come to him sincerely looking for it. And Proverbs 2, 6, 6 and 7 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Listen carefully here, verse 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. So he stores up wisdom. He's got, he's got supplies of wisdom just waiting for who? For those who walk uprightly. For those who obey his word. And he's a shield meaning He protects those who walk in integrity, meaning those who are diligent and consistent in living the way God calls them to live, day in, day out. Okay? Now, of course, none of that means that 
right? We, we still believe the gospel, <laughs> right? We know we fail. We know we need God's grace. Yeah. But God blesses those who are intent on obeying Him. Okay. Gives us the wisdom we need to be able to live out the Christian life. Our passage invites and commands diligent listening and learning and motivates us with the fact that that diligence, that intentionality, will produce fruit, both as a result of our efforts and as a result of God's special blessing on our obedience. There's a beautiful picture actually here in it comes up a number of times in a fairly short space in the, in the Gospel of Mark. See in Mark 3, Mark 3 verse 34. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here, this is Jesus speaking, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I used the illustration earlier of my theology professor who engaged us, right, in robust thinking about what he was teaching. It's kind of this picture of, you know, you're so engaged, you're doing your best to understand, but you still have questions. And now the lesson has come to an end, but you want to grab hold of the professor before he walks out the door. And, there's a few extra eager students who all surround the professor and keep peppering him with questions. Oh, just, you know, do you have two minutes quickly? I'm just asking about this. What, what did you mean by that? That's this picture. These eager, sincere learners gathered around Jesus, sitting at his feet. Earnest, eager, intent on learning. And intent on obeying, right? Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And we see again in Mark 4, verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Again, there's this picture. The, the crowd's dispersed or, or Jesus has removed himself from the crowd. And there's still a group that sticks with him. And, okay, Jesus, I know you've already taught about this, but I didn't understand this. What, what did you mean by this? Eager to learn. Mark 4 verse 34. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Again, Jesus, what did you mean? Please explain. And Jesus is happy to explain and help. So we've seen the benefits, uh, and, and that would still be true, by the way. We don't have Jesus here in person, right? But we've been talking about how we can go to him in prayer. Give me wisdom. I don't understand. Open my eyes so I can see wondrous things from your law. And still depend on him to teach us and explain and make his truth clear. So we've seen the benefits of listening well, but our passage also warns us about the danger of not listening well. See, the other side of the coin 
with this idea of reaping what you sow is that if you don't sow anything, you don't get anything. Right? So if you don't sit under the teaching of God's word, you're not going to benefit from it. If you don't pay attention when you hear God's word preached, then you're not going to benefit from it. And it actually becomes worse than just not simply receiving any benefit. Mark 4 verse 25 says, For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Back, back in chapter 3 of Mark, we've already seen the strongest possible warning from Jesus about hearing his teaching, but continuing in unbelief hearing his teaching, but not seeing him for who he is and responding to him in faith. Right? Stubborn unbelief is the only unforgivable sin. And why? Because if you don't see Jesus as Savior, then you can't embrace him as Savior, and then there's no forgiveness for your sins. Hear me today. There's only one way for our sins to be forgiven. And that is for Jesus to pay for them. So if you don't see that that's why he came into the world. So that he could die on the cross and pay for your sins. If you don't believe that the offer is out there to you to embrace him in faith. So that your sins can be forgiven. Then there is no way for you to be saved. Right? You must see Jesus for who he is. You must respond to him in faith. And we've seen also the audacity of pride that some have towards Jesus. Their audacity in thinking that they know better than the Son of God. Remember the critical attitude of the religious leaders towards Jesus. Right? They disapprove of who he spends time with. They disapprove about how of things that he and his disciples do on the Sabbath. They disapprove of his attitude towards fasting. No, 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 Jesus. You see, if you were truly holy, if you were truly spiritual, then you would do things like we do. Not like that. How insane. How insane that we would think we can stand over, right? Jesus in his word, that we, that we are over it, right? We must place ourselves under his word, under his word, recognize, submitting ourselves to it, recognizing that his ways and his thoughts are far above ours. And as God, very God, his words carry authority. Always. He's always right. Not sometimes. It's not up for debate. Not I'll take a little bit of that, but reject a little bit of it too. We must submit ourselves to His Word. And lastly, think about this, brothers and sisters. If we treat something that is special... If we treat that special thing 
as if it's everyday and common. We will become more and more ingrained in that thinking, in that attitude towards it. We're training ourselves to treat something incredible as if it's ordinary. It will lose its specialness in our minds. It's a scary thought to think that our attitude towards God's Word when it's being preached or when we're reading it, our attitude towards God's Word can lead us in that direction if we're not diligent, right? Where this is, you know, we all know the Lord's Prayer. I can recite the Lord's Prayer, but I haven't actually thought about it in who knows how long. Right? It's just, I can, I can quote the Lord's Prayer and I can quote lines to you from Star Wars or the latest Marvel movie. It's just something I know, but it's just part of the mix, right? Not the unique, holy Word of God. Undoubtedly, right? It matters how we listen. It matters that we see Jesus for who He is and then therefore we recognize it's worth it to put in the effort to really listen and engage because His words are the very words of God. And when we are diligent to treat His words as the very words of God, to embrace them, to seek to obey them, there's fruit, right? There's fruit and there's God's blessing. May God give us ears to hear. Amen.